0: You got a Bible in turn to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation 10. So last week we looked at chapter 9, these six trumpets that sound in kind of succession. You said those trumpets are judgments. They're more severe than the seals that we looked at a few weeks ago, but they're still limited in scope. And the hope behind them, or the intention behind them, is to provoke people to repentance. That was the, the design, was to draw people into a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't work. But that was the, the, the hope. And so we saw these first four trumpets were directed at creation, and they impacted everyone who lived on the earth indirectly, just because they lived on the earth. Everyone who lives on the earth during that time will be impacted by these judgments on creation. Then the last two that we looked at, which was trumpet five and six, were different. The fifth and sixth trumpet were also called woes. There's three woes, trumpets five, six, and seven. And those were directed only at the inhabitants of the earth, the inhabitants of the earth are the people who are hostile to God. And these trumpets or woes were demonic in nature, still under the sovereign control of God for sure, but they were demonic in terms of their uh, demonically inspired and they seem to be demonically executed. Uh, And they're they're brutal. There's this plague of locusts, whatever that means, and locusts torture people for five months and then this army, 200 million people, and it's the horses that, you know, they got tails like snakes and they're breathing all kinds of sulfur and fire and, and they kill a third of the inhabitants of the earth. That's a symbolic number. But even the devastation of that, it was intended to bring people to repentance. And at the end, the end of chapter 9, two of the saddest verses in the Bible, even those who weren't killed by these plagues continued to worship idols and to worship demons and to engage in sinful activity. Devastating. The trumpets didn't achieve their intended result. And now there's an interlude this week and next week, chapter 10 and 11. It's a break between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. So what we're seeing is a pause kind of in the action, which was very similar to what we saw in the seals. Jesus opens six seals in uh, succession, and then there's a break before he opens the seventh. And we see a similar pattern here with the trumpet. So I'm going to read all of chapter 10. It's a short chapter. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and don't write it down. Then the angel I'd seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that's in them, the earth and all that's in it, and the sea and all that's in it. And he said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servant, the prophets. To Excuse me, to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I'd heard from heaven spoke to me once more, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll and he said, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So John sees another mighty angel. The last time he saw a mighty angel was in chapter 5. He was in the throne room of heaven. The father had this scroll in his hand that had seven seals on it. And this mighty angel says, who's worthy to open the scroll? And there was nobody in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was worthy to open the scroll. And John gets really upset, and one of the elders says to him, don't worry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy. He's triumphant. And then John sees a lamb looking as if it had been slaughtered. He sees Jesus. So now we, we, we skip forward to chapter 10, and we see another mighty angel. And he has a scroll in his hand. I think it's the same scroll. The difference is this time it's been opened. Jesus has opened the seven seals. And so this scroll that was sealed is now open. And the angel gives it to John, and he takes it and he eats it. That's a, a, a symbol of ingesting or absorbing the material. And that's what we saw way back in chapter one, verse one. That's what uh, John said would happen, that there was this revelation and it was the father's. And then it would go from the father to the son and it would go from the son to an angel and it would go from, the, from an angel to John. And that's what we've seen. The father had the scroll, the son took the scroll from the father. Now the angel has the scroll that's been opened by Jesus and he gives it to John who eats it. who will then share the message with the community. And that, that the contents of that scroll is the rest of the book of Revelation. So, this is a pivot chapter. Everything that we've read up to now is preliminary. It's just the opening of the seven seals. And what we're going to begin to see in the next few weeks is the actual con- for Scooby and the gang to try to figure out. <laughs> Mystery in the Bible is something that. God discloses to people. It's something that we would not know unless God shared it with us. We can't figure it out. We can't solve it. It's a disclosure or a revelation that God gives to people. And if you read through the Bible, a lot of times that goes first to the prophets. A lot of times God shares with the prophets who then share with the people. John is a prophet. The book of Revelation is a prophecy. So we see that kind of playing out here in this book as well. So that's what John sees. What he hears are these seven thunders, and he's about to write down what he heard. That's what he's been doing the whole time. He sees something, he hears something, he writes it down. But this time, there's a voice that says, don't write it down. Seal up what the seven thunders said. They were sealed up, so we don't know exactly what they were. Best guess is those seven thunders was another round of judgments, another series of warnings like the trumpets, but God decides not to execute those judgments no more warnings. That's what the angel says. There will be no more delay. It's an important phrase for us this morning. There will be no more delay, no more warnings. So we're going to skip past whatever the seven thunders were. We're skipping that and we're going straight to the end when the mystery of God will be revealed. And again, that's what we'll see as we move forward with the rest of the book of Revelation. So what John sees is an angel who gives him this scroll that's been opened by Jesus. He eats it as a sign of saying I'm taking in this content. It's sweet in his mouth. It is the mystery of God. It's what he's been wanting to, to know. The a he wept, excuse me, in the throne room because nobody could open the scroll but it turns sour in his stomach and we'll see why as we read through the rest of the book of Revelation. It's difficult for God's people. What's written on this scroll, ultimately it is glorious, but it's very difficult for God's people. There's a period of suffering and persecution that they're going to have to endure. That's what he sees, what he heard, these seven thunders. We don't know the exact content. Best guess, another round of judgments that God chooses to bypass and move straight to the end because the trumpet judgments didn't produce what he, wanted to, what he wanted them to. They did not produce repentance. I was thinking about that for us, and again, that phrase, there'll be no more delay. We're, we said last week that we're living in the last days. Everything from Acts 2 on is considered the last days. So we, you know, that's 2,000 years ago for us that we've been living in the last days on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter uh, describes what's going on through the lens of, in the last days, God will do A, B, and C. So we're still living during that time. We're waiting. We're in this period of delay. For an angel to say there will be no more delay implies that there currently is a delay in between the first and the second coming of Jesus. That's where we're all living kind of cosmically, but existentially or personally some of you are experiencing a delay it may not be this you're not thinking about it in a cosmic sense of Jesus's return you're just thinking maybe of something that you're wanting to see God do in your own life maybe you felt like there was a word from the lord to you and you haven't yet seen that come to fulfillment and so personally you're experiencing delay and that can be a difficult place to be and I want to talk a little bit about how do we navigate that delay. How do we navigate that period of waiting? If you need a chapter to read this this week, Second Peter chapter three, particularly if you're in the waiting, if you feel like you're in a period of delay, Second Peter chapter three. That's who he's written that chapter for. It's for people who were saying. Hey, when is Jesus coming back? For Peter, for 30 years, you've been saying we're in the last days. And things are continuing on just as they always have. Where is this Jesus that, that you had said was going to return? When is he going to come back and do anything? He talks about scoffers scoffing. And that could be difficult when you're saying, no, he's going to return. And, and so Jesus, Peter's speaking into that tension that people are feeling. You may be someone who wants to know why you have to wait. Like, that's me. I hate traffic, which is difficult when you live in Mexico. You hit traffic, and you were just stuck. There wasn't a little voice saying, take a different detour. Save some time. And you didn't know how long it was going to last. But there was a part of that that was kind of okay. Now I feel like the dot on the map kind of taunts me. When I see plus 22, I went to man camp, plus 24 to drive 75 south on a Thursday night, and so I'm driving, and it just seems to me that like, when I hit the red on the map, as I'm going, it's turning blue behind me, which is a bit frustrating for me. I want them to experience the red as well. But then what's the most difficult for me is when I get to the little, the little circle on my map that says there's a wreck, and there's nothing. It's not a good part of me to say this, but I want to see a wreck. If I'm, if I'm plus 24... There needs to be a reason to be plus 24. And when I get there and there's not one, it's a bit frustrating for me. I wanna know why. Why? Why, is that? why am I being slowed down? Why is there a delay? And for some of you, that's, you're wondering the same thing. Why? Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Why is, there being, why is there a delay? Why is he making me wait? And Peter addresses that in a cosmic sense. He says the reason that there's a delay between the first and the second coming of Jesus, it's not, it, 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 it's, it's God's patience. It's, it's his desire to see, give people an opportunity to repent, to be reconciled to him. If God were to deal with everything that, that creates, uh, hostile, everything that's hostile to him, if he were to deal with everything that creates resistance in terms of his kingdom coming and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven, then he, he would have to deal with people who are resistant to him. And he wants to give every single one of them an opportunity to repent and to be reconciled to him. When he deals fully and finally with the resistance, then there won't be any opportunities for people to repent any longer. The door will be closed. Peter says in chapter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, his patience means salvation. It's salvation. So our delay in the cosmic sense The waiting is because of God's kindness, his patience, his forbearance, his long-suffering, his slowness to judge. Why? Because of his great love and mercy. He wants to give everyone who will an opportunity to be reconciled to him. That doesn't speak to your particular situation. I don't know why in your particular situation you have to wait. I can say cosmically this is why we're all waiting. Because Jesus hasn't come back to make everything right. And until he makes everything right, we live in a fallen world. And until he makes everything right, we have an enemy who tries to disrupt and destroy the plans of God. Until he makes everything right, there's things that God wants to do in our heart that can only be done as we wait. We also know that God doesn't work based on Chronos time. He works on Kairos time when all the circumstances are lined up. I don't know why in your particular situation you're having to wait. I don't know why there's a delay. I don't know that you'll ever know either. I just about guarantee you're not gonna know in the, in the middle of it. Maybe when you get on the other side, you may be able to look back and say, you know what, the timing was perfect there. That timing was better than my timing. But when you're in the middle of it, I pretty much guarantee God's not, he's not gonna let you know. You're not gonna know why the delay or why the waiting. And ultimately, I don't know that the why matters all that much. Peter gives a few words and he says here's some things that you can do while you're waiting. And they all fall under the umbrella of living with the end in mind, recognizing that the waiting is temporary. There will be a time when the mighty angel is going to say there will be no more delay. That day is coming. It's not in the it's not in the indefinite future. There will be a time When the waiting will come to an end. And in your own life, there'll be a time when the waiting comes to an end. It may not be until you die, but there will be a time when the waiting will come to an end for you as well. And until then, we want to live with that end in mind. The fact that the waiting will end, that the delay is not forever And Peter gives a few words, and I'm going to blow through them really quickly because I want to make sure we have an opportunity to pray for one another. So one of the things Peter says is cooperate with God's work in the world. Interesting. Cooperate with God's work in the world. He said everything's going to be destroyed, so you need to live a holy and godly life. And you can speed the day of Jesus' coming. Did you know that? So what Peter is saying is, listen, the end is going to come. You know it's going to come. And so you can actually Speed up that process. You can shrink the delay. We talked last week about the importance of learning to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And we said, talked about some really specific ways, not just in general on earth, but in the places where you live and work the pl- the, in the lives of the people that you love and encounter, for his kingdom to come in those places and in those people as it is in heaven. And we talked about the importance of praying that prayer and those prayers persistently. We're filling up those bowls in heaven. Every time we pray prayers like that, we're filling up those bowls in heaven that eventually will be poured out. They, we, we, those prayers will be answered. And we can also share. We can share the good news of what Jesus has done in our life. You don't have to be a professional evangelist. You can just share what, you can give away what you've received. Let's say it that way. The good things that you've received from God, you can share with others. We saw in Matthew 24, Jesus said, first the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. We can speed up the coming of Jesus by giving away what we've received. There's billions of people, if you can imagine that, billions who still don't know the name of Jesus, who've never had a Bible given to them in a language that they can read, who've never heard the gospel presented to them in their heart language. And it's not just people all over the world. There are people here in Marietta, in the Bible Belt, who don't have a clue who Jesus is. We can Speed up his coming by giving away what we've received. So we, while you're waiting, cooperate with what God is doing in the world. You do that through prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done here in my life, in my world as it is in heaven, and by giving away what you've received. Peter also says this. He says you can. You got it? He says you can be reconciled to God. I think a better phrase, I should have written it different, is to live reconciled to God. Be reconciled sounds like a one-time deal. I, I think that can, be, uh, that can lead us down a wrong road. Salvation is a gift, but it's not a commodity. It's not like a present that you open and you can put on the shelf. It's an invitation to ongoing relationship. And so Peter says, make every effort to be blameless and to be spotless and to live at peace with Jesus. And again, some, that can be confusing. Well, isn't salvation a gift? How do I make every effort? Again, think about it as an invitation to ongoing relationship, a relationship that extends beyond death. That's what salvation is, and you have to fight for that relationship just like you fight for every other relationship you have. You don't fight because a relationship is fragile. You don't fight for the relationship because it, it, uh, you, you're, you're, it's hanging on by a thread. You fight for the relationship because it's really important. God is fighting for the relationship with you and you fight for the relationship with him. That just looks like tending, just tending to it, investing in your relationship with him. We've talked about that many times. And that's what Peter says. Hey, while you're waiting, while you're waiting, live reconciled to God. Live reconciled to him. That's the thing that will, that extends on the other side of the delay. That's the thing that's eternal And permanent for us. The last thing that Peter says is be be alert. You need to grow deep roots. We have an enemy, masquerades like an angel of light. We don't want you to be led astray. We don't want you to fall from the secure position that you have. We want you to grow in your high school, which seems, looking back, like kind of a mistake to put that responsibility on a teenager, which may be why this bank is no longer in business. But I remember during training, I remember counterfeit money day. And I was intimidated. I was like, gosh, am I going to be responsible? I make $7.85 an hour. So am I going to have to pay it back if somebody passes me a bad 20 and I don't catch it? And so I was waiting on the binder with all of the ways that people counterfeit money. Here are all the things that you need to look for. And they didn't bring out any of it. They brought out a sack of real money. And they said, hold it. And you just get used to the way this real money feels. And when you touch counterfeit money, you can have your eyes closed and you'll know it's a bad bill. They can't counterfeit the paper. If you know what real money feels like, then you'll know counterfeit as soon as it touches your hand. And the same thing is true. It can be scary to think, oh my gosh, am I going to be led astray? There's an enemy who masquerades as an angel of light and he's really good at deception. Am I going to be deceived? And it can create fear in us. And no. You, the, the, the more you know Jesus, it's, it's not about trying to figure out what are all, it's not being a heresy hunter. What are all of the ways that I can be led astray? What are all of the false doctrines that are out there? Don't focus on that. As you grow in familiarity with Jesus, then you'll know, you'll know in your heart. That sounds pretty good, but it's not quite right. He, he's close, but he's not quite there. You'll know in your heart there'll be a a resonance or a lack of resonance in your heart because it just won't feel right. That sounds so squishy, but it's 100% true. Your familiarity with Jesus, that's your protection against being led astray. The more you know him, the less likely you are to be led astray. You don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. You don't have to know every heresy that's ever passed through the church. You just have to know him. You know what he feels like. And so when somebody tries to slip something past you that's not authentic, you'll know. I want to take a few minutes. We have a few minutes to pray. This is really the, big, the most important thing I wanted us to do today was to create some space to pray for people who are waiting. And so I want you to close your eyes and I want you in your most honest heart to answer this question. Am I in a period of waiting today? Right now? if i was my, my most honest would i say i feel like god is delaying an answer in my life even if your head is saying he's good he's faithful i can trust him it's going to be okay is your heart tapping your foot looking at the red on the map and saying I- i'm i'm tired of waiting Nothing is impossible for him. So why am I still sitting here? Don't minimize what you're waiting for. Don't do that. It's not helpful. If you would answer, yes, I'm waiting, I want you to commit right now to coming forward and letting us pray for you. You may have never come forward in your life, but I want you to do it this morning, and this is why When you're waiting, we're tempted in one of two ways. One is to short-circuit the process. We see that in Genesis. Abraham and Sarah are told, hey, you're going to have a child 12 years later. They haven't. And so they have a brilliant idea for Abraham to get Hagar, Sarah's maid, pregnant. It creates all kinds of problems for them. 12 years is a long time to wait. But they didn't wait long enough. They took matters into their own hands. You coming forward for prayer, is kind of it's a repudiation of that. It's you saying, I'm not taking matters into my own hands. I'm coming forward and saying, God, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you to be the one who answers, the one who moves. The other temptation, is kind of, it's, it's the other ditch. It's to withdraw or to shut down, to distance ourselves from God. And what we say is it's just in this one area, but eventually that bleeds over into every area of our life. We're disappointed or we're frustrated, we get tired of praying, and so we just shut down that particular area. Coming forward for prayer is a way of saying I'm choosing to re engage God in this particular area of my life, in this circumstance, with this desire. I'm choosing to reengage. No promises that God is going to change your circumstances. None. The promise is that you're not waiting alone, that he's with you. And that's our deepest desires, that you would know that before you leave today. But in the midst of the waiting, you're not waiting by yourself. That you haven't been forgotten and you haven't been forsaken that God has a deep and profound love for you and also an outrageous delight in you. And he sees. I don't know why you're waiting. I don't know why he's delaying. But I know he's good. And he's with you. And we want you to know that. And I think more than we do, he wants you to know that. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that for everyone who right now is saying, I'm, I'm in a period of delay. I'm waiting. God, we do pray that they change their circumstances. We pray at just the right time there would be a breakthrough. We pray that they would know your, you would be close to them. They would know the profound love you have for them, the deep delight that you take in them. So would you minister into those people's hearts, men and women, students, would you minister into hearts here this morning in Jesus' name?